Welcome everyone to the Junction City Podcast. My name is John Miles and we're bringing you a special Labor Day episode this week. So because it's Labor Day, we've got our special guest. Danny Brewer. That's right. We're going to talk about labor, value of work, everything like that. Danny just went to the AFL-CIO conference, so we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, that was the my smart union conference. The AFL-CIO spoke there, so oh, that was oh, pretty okay. cool. Smart yeah, union yeah, smart. Yeah, it's my union is the, the smart TD, who are the railroaders, bus drivers. We also ha- have the sheet metal workers. We all recently merged together, and we had a big, our second constitutional convention in las vegas last weekend it was a, a week-long work it was a lot of work really Bas- you know we were basically hashing out this merger that happened about eight years ago and and uh how it's progressed so it, it was pretty good experience uh, back up a little bit uh i am uh, the legislative rep for my union i work for class one railroad in utah you might have seen them they they drive dumping down in your way at the crossings big yellow things with smoke coming out <laughs> making big noise that's me i'm the one that's making all that noise yeah he's and a returning guest you were here mm-hmm. what two three months ago yeah it's been about a couple of months and we we were talking about just what it what it means and what it what a union is and what right. a union does but so i was gonna i was because uh, we were gonna talk a little bit about labor day because i kind of want to give a little bit of a maybe a foundation understanding of like how we got to where we mm-hmm. are, like what we're celebrating with Labor Day. So I, I, I was going to start with a story. I uh, had two conversations this week. One was with my neighbor. Um, he's a Hispanic guy. I grew up in California. He was, I think, first generation, and his dad came up here, got a job driving truck. So, you know, the mom was a stay-at-home mom. The dad supported the whole family with his truck driver salary. He was even supporting extended family, moved to a nice neighborhood, you know, everything like that. And then that got me thinking that my grandpa is a, was a truck driver. So mm-hmm. I was talking to my mom about it. Same exact story. They were living in California growing up. He drove truck and yeah. his wife didn't work. The whole family was supported. Like they were doing just fine on one income. It wasn't that long ago that, uh, you know, we had that traditional family, the, the golden age of yeah, this the is 50s like the 60s, and 60s, and, 70s. And, you know, you could have a, a family supported by one uh, income. And right. You could have that that per, that family member stay home. And it's like unheard and, of uh, these days. It really is. You know, at, at some point, our drive towards efficiency and productivity has taken a turn to the point where it's not enough for for uh, one person to be able to be the breadwinner and one person to be the caretaker. Everybody has to do everything now, and uh, and now you just can't keep up unless you are willing to put work to the bone. And it's sad because what happens is you, you have a, you have a society where only the people that and I don't want to sound like a, a, a Marxist or a capitalist or a socialist or anything, but the reality is is that the people who have the capital they don't really have to participate in that rat race because it's not them who are actually doing the work. It's their capital. It's their investments. Right. You know. And it and, used to be the guys and, who doing the labor yeah, that got a piece to, of the pie. Well, they had a larger share. Yeah. You right. know. And so when yeah, it was that. when it's when it was sixty forty then you could actually work an eight-hour day or a 40-hour week, and you could go home and have the weekends off. And now you're expected to work 10 hours a day or and 50 hours a week and or six in six days a week. And, you know, other countries are like Japan and China. They're, they're working six, seven days a week, and, and, and we're supposed to 
be pressured into competing with these other societies. But at the same time, we're not producing what we what we did back then. We don't have the people in the different industries making clothes. We don't we don't uh, make automobiles like the way that we used yeah, to. I mean, you still see the manufacturing piece is, is is missing. It's still there, but it's not what it was, you mm -hmm. know. And I think that that's well, that's. I that's think that's a concerted something... effort by, by the, uh, by Wall Street and the and the the, the owners and capital mm -hmm. owners have have basically just little tick, little tick by tick by tick have taken away to the point where we have we have a society where the inequality is 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 it's ridiculous. Right. Right. Know? And people believe that the profits that they deserve to go to that person on top rather than the person who's yeah doing it's the almost labor. like we we look at the people who are are doing so much better than we are as our role models right. you know we look at steve jobs we look at jeff bezos we look at warren buffett at these people these are our role models mm -hmm. and, and we don't look at uh the firefighters as our role models we don't look as the police at the policemen as our role models or the mm -hmm. or the or the union leaders or 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 even the like back in the 70s and 60s people who were leaders in civil disobedience and mm -hmm. things like that like martin luther king and the and our religious leaders they aren't even our role models anymore our role models are these great bigger than life um people that are so successful and and you know trump being one of them you right. know and it well, I mean, before when he ran, you know, he was larger than life on The Apprentice Show, and that 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 whole that captures an audience. You know, you have to be. It's like we've taken this larger than life, these Beyonces and Kardashians and things like that, and those are those are our role models now, and that's wrong. <laughs> well, I think it's even almost a step down from role from models, though, opinion. because we used to have we used to appreciate that a truck driver was the reason that we were getting, say, certain produce or whatever, or that the railroad was the reason that we were getting things, or, or the post office. Yep. Like People used to understand that like there was this whole infrastructure going on, and now it's just kind of taken for granted, I think, mm -hmm. and, and, and it reflects in the way that we yeah, one pay click, those people. one-click society. Yeah, Danny, so a super good point about how in the 60s, in the 70s, and on even into the 80s, there was a time where that money got split up a little bit better and people could live good lives, and a big reason why they could do that is because of organized labor, which is the reason that we have Labor Day today. So mm -hmm. I was wondering if you might uh, share a little bit with us about you know how if I mean what you know about Labor Day, how it came to be, and you know especially being sure. a union guy, like what does it mean to you today? Well, to me, Labor Day starts with the railroads in the 1890s. You had uh, basically the Industrial Revolution. You know, you had an increase in steel and coal mining, and and uh, transportation took off. You know, the, the Transcontinental Railroad was 1850. We're just booming out of that. And as a result, you have this huge increase in industrialization in, in America and in Canada and in Mexico. And you also have to have the start, the start of the farming, moving to large production farms and stuff like that. And as a result, you have a huge amount of people employed by these big organizations you have these companies that have great numbers of people like rockefeller steel ford motor company so you have you have a situation where everybody goes to these institutions in great numbers and and there's a great common thread as to what they all do the same work the field workers out down in in california picking 
crops and stuff like that. And then you have in the east, you have and in the Rust Belt, you have the automobiles in the east. You have more transportation and the docks and stuff like that. You move down the south, you have tobacco plantations and and cotton. And and you had this great, huge industrial revolution, basically. And and it infected everybody. I mean, at that time, you didn't have cars. You had rail. That was the way everything was carried. You know, you really didn't have cars until the 1920s. And so in the 1890s, everything was, there was uh, hauled by trains. At that time, passengers, if you wanted to go to the grocery store, you got on a train and you went downtown and you got on the grocery store. So what happened was, is because of this commonality of work and these institutions that were ba- basically these, these, a lot of people call them robber barons or big business people, the Rockefellers, the, the uh, William Randolph Hearst, the, you know, I may be getting my time frames wrong. A well, even bit. even locally, like you know, if you look at yeah. the history of the Eccles family, you know, like yeah, I, I'll exactly. be honest, like Eccles, I have David Eccles on Morgan, my phone. Like, how does David Eccles get his money? He, you know, he starts out in timber, correct, and and then he gets into building railroads, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and and it grows from there. And exactly. So, that, so that's you had, how the money comes. You basically had the Gilded a, Edge, a single person or a, a group of people create a company that it, that hired a whole bunch of people that did the same kind of work. And as a result of that, those pe- there was a commonality and, and a common goal of those people that all pers- performed the same kind of work. And so you had certain companies that did better than others and certain companies that did worse than others. Some companies took better care of their employees. But as it grows on and on, the necessity of capital is to become bigger. So you have these big, even bigger corporations growing in out of this. And out of that comes big banks and so I guess I'm talking about the, the, the very large industrial capital and then the working class. You end up with an a aristocracy of sorts. And part of that that grew out of that is this beginning of this, this class warfare that started in, in the 1850s and 1860s and, and really kind of started to foment in the 1880s and 1890s. And so one of the things that happened is pe- is that the, the, the rail unions arose out of a workplace safety issue. You know, there was a lot. That was really what unions be- started for is because um, basically you had people pass the hat around and for someone who got injured, you know, or someone who someone who lost a family member or something like that. So you had these fraternal groups and that's basically the the origin of unions is so you have these fraternal organizations which are just basically to take care of each other you know so it's so kind of like every uh, person that's working on the factory line or every person that's working in the coal mine you have these organizations just happen where you know you're trying to take care of each other and then when the industrial capital machine starts cutting those people's wages and you know starts treating them poorly that's when you enter the whole collective bargaining and strikes and stuff like that in in, uh, 1880 the average worker worked seven days a week 12 hours a day right and you also had child labor issues five and six years old kids were working absolutely you know in the coal mines you know tent from dawn till dusk and in the fields picking uh fruit and 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 
and uh, there was just no no relief for them. You know, uh, I always talk about the railroad back then. Uh, the the uh, there was a a plank. It was called a footboard that they put on top of the cars, and it, the the brake systems on each of the cars would be this big wheel that you cranked on the top of every railroad car. And so you had to run across the tops of the railroad cars to slow the train down as it approached the station, and you hand-tie each handbrake on the tops of the cars. And so you had they were, you had these people called brakemen, and they'd basically sit in the caboose, and when the train needed to slow down, they would get up and run across the tops of the trains, and they would tie the handbrakes on these trains. Well, the train would go around a curb, and they would fall off. They would fall off a lot. And in, in, at the turn of the century, the life of a brakeman was about three years. That was the life expectancy of a railroad brakeman. And uh, it was kind of a and, – and so the, one of the very first organizations, uh, fraternal organizations, was called the, the Brotherhood of the Footboard. And that later became what is now the uh, Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen. So that is the world's uh, – the U.S.'s oldest labor organization is basically the railroad. So anyway, you, in the 1890s, uh, one of the things that the unions like to do is they, they, they like to have parades. And so they would all get out, and they would all parade up and down the street. It, and, and parades were a big thing for pretty much any number of reasons. But, uh, you know, high school had their bands and things like that. It was had parades. So they would, they would have parades on different days during the year or what like. So it was kind of decided that they all wanted to do it on the same day. So they picked Labor Day because it was halfway between Thanksgiving and Fourth of July. So that's why we they settled on the the first week of of September. What really solidified it was this uh, railroad strike called the Pullman Car Strike, and basically you had a, a company town, and I believe it was Illinois, and uh, this Pullman company built passenger railroad cars. Really nice ones, like luxury passenger cars. And so if you wanted to go build passenger cars, you went to work for the Pullman Car Company. And when you went to work for the Pullman Car Company, they put you up in their company town. They gave you a house. They gave you, a, they built you a church. They built you a, a uh, there was a, a hotel for visitors, and, and they had a grocery store. And pretty soon, the, the uh, Mr. Pullman decided that, you know, we wouldn't bother actually we'll just take the rent for your for your house or whatever out of your paycheck so we wouldn't have to worry so you don't have to worry about it and then you could just go down to the grocery store and get your stuff on credit and you wouldn't have to worry about that anymore we'd just take it out of your check you know and so very soon he would raise the weight raise the rents on these people in living in his town and just take the money out of their check and then and then the economy in 1890s, they had this great panic. You know, it was kind of like a precursor to the the depression. the depression, really. But it was in the 1890s, and so people kind of stopped. Customers kind of stopped buying these these cars, and and so what Mr. Pullman did at the Pullman Car Company is he cut everybody's wages, but he didn't cut the rent, and he didn't cut the price of groceries. Huh. You know, so, but the thing is, if you wanted to work for this company, you had to live in the town and you had to buy the groceries there and you had to, you know, you couldn't, if you, if you quit, you lost your house and everything. 
and you're pretty much destitute, so they had nowhere to go. And so you really had a situation where these people were almost starving to death. And uh, they finally, they, the un- they formed a union, and they struck. And they all walked off the job. And the, at the time, you had another union, the American Railway Union, which was ran by a gentleman called Eugene Debs. Who is a, a a as you know from history, he's a he's one of the original heroes of the the union labor movement, and he was a railroad man. So he took the side of this company town that was having so many problems, and he basically they boycotted all of the rail cars that Mr. Pullman made, and so none of the engines across the entire eastern states would pull. The locomotive engineers would not pull these cars, and it shut the entire country down for, like, several months. And as a result of that, Grover Cleveland came in and brought in a whole bunch of Pinkertons and, and bad and, and, and the National Guard, and there was a huge riot, and several, like, 30 people died, and, and it was a really— bad situation and uh grover cleveland felt really bad about that because he was actually kind of a liberal president but he needed to get his country rolling again (laughs) which was sad so and he was actually kind of supported by the labor union so one of the things he did to make up for that is create this national holiday called labor day and that's how labor day started and and all the way through the even now we still have uh parades on labor day and the very there's a lot more of them back east we don't really see them here we have car shows and things like that that are <laughs> instead but uh yeah we don't seem to value labor unions like they do or back parades east. so <laughs> much that i mean thanksgiving parade and stuff like that but but right. uh you know you need floats and 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 it needs to be an extravaganza and everybody just getting together and wearing their union shirt and walking down the street people it doesn't Right. Doesn't have the same draw that it used to, you know, <laughs> right? In in the day, so but that's that's Labor Day in a nutshell, you know that that it was so, created to uh, to to be halfway between Thanksgiving and and Fourth of July, and then to celebrate the labor movement as huh. a concession to the fact that we act that we went in right. and, and did all these <laughs> that the government went in and did all these terrible things. Yeah, it's kind of like labor fought, 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 and then got beat down so hard that eventually the government was like. All right, sorry guys. We'll give you yeah, we'll a new give you holiday. a date. We'll give you a paid holiday. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you're tell- so that's like in the 1890s. Yeah, it was in 1890. I maybe three or four was when nice. it was created. A labor labor oh. holiday. That's Grover, nice of us. Grover Cleveland. We create this created. labor holiday well before we create any like labor protections or anything. You're absolutely like right. That. You know, and, and uh, you know the labor movement actually continued. Re- the railroad union and and the different unions conductors the footboard union which later became locomotive engineers union you know those people helped write the original labor protection laws i talked to you about how the brakeman would would get hurt uh-huh. and stuff like that the result of that is that all of these labor unions lobbied the government back then and created this original law called fila which is the federal employee liability act mm-hmm. and that is kind of like the precursor to our workplace, our, our workforce services, our 
our health care if we get hurt on you know, our protections for us when we get hurt on the job. And that happened like for FLRA? the railroad. Yeah, like workman's comp. So and and that was back in the thirties that, that 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 came about. And so that basically said that if you get hurt on the job, that your company is responsible to take care of you. I mean, it's very simple law that is still on the books today. And and as a railroad worker, I am governed by that law. I actually don't have uh, workman's comp. I am governed by this law, this Federal Employer Liability Act. Huh. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting. And and the work work. Um, the workman's comp evolved out of that. The other thing that evolved out of it is pensions. You know, we have the 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 railroad retirement board was created as a result of the fact that back in the 30s and there were about 40% of Americans worked for the railroad. It was the number one employer in the United States, even larger than the the military at that time as i understand it and you basically had these people working until they were 80 huh. and um they really wanted to have a pension so they created this railroad retirement board and that is what our modern social security is modeled after mm. so i actually don't as a railroad employee i don't collect social security i collect railroad retirement they 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 voted their paycheck back then they voted the way they they would they would take their Progressive beliefs, and 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 they would take take that those beliefs, and they would take those to the ballot box with them, and everybody would go to the convention. And labor had a huge sway over uh, our government clear up until up until the eighties, until Ronald Reagan. Labor organized labor was the backbone of the Democratic Party until mm -hmm. the nineteen eighties, right? And this is it really was. I mean, uh, for good or bad, because you know, labor unions, every organization when it comes together have has this pension uh, you know, this this whole, you know, the idea of You've heard about Jimmy Hoffa and the mob and, and stuff like that, and these big party bosses, these big labor bosses, and that's a real thing. That really happened, you know. There, there were, there were these. They became big, big uh, political organizations that that made big decisions. And if if a candidate wanted to run for office, you know, they pretty much the first place they went to was the labor hall for permission, you know. And, uh, you know, if they wanted to build a building, they had to go work it out with the labor unions and the Teamsters and the and the 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 AFL-CIO. And, and you used to have labor unions for tobacco cigarette rollers and, and, and cigar makers. The cigar makers union was a really big, big deal. And uh, the shipyards was a had a huge labor movement and, and the stockyards we're all organized which was a key piece of you know right yeah, here in Ogden our, you know we have yeah. one of the biggest stockyards west of the Mississippi right it, here in exactly Ogden. you know and and that was all organized labor so if, if you know if you wanted a job you didn't go down to the stockyard and talk to the boss you went and talked to the labor went down to the labor hall and you said hey I want to go work the stockyards and so you'd sign on with the union and then they'd get your job at the yeah. stockyards but and the they, upside of that is is in the workplace right like mm -hmm. i mean i think some people might hear that and think like you know these unions had too much power but that power is sort of derived from in the workplace mm -hmm. they're the ones safeguarding all of the employees wow. and and it's the same where if the manager wants to do something that's going to impact mm -hmm. these people's lives they have that same well it was a check and balance i mean you still had the huge banks you still had these huge uh rockefellers and 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 these huge the 
these huge corporations and these banks and 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 uh, they would still want to be able to be profitable even then like today you know they they wanted to be able to make money off of what it is that you do and they had and they had stock and and stockholders that they had to answer to and and so that you definitely had but it was a lot more equal then because mm-hmm. there were the the unions had a lot more ability to strike back then and basically if they didn't get their way the owner would basically go bankrupt and many unions would would put companies out of business if they, if they didn't get what they wanted well yeah and it, i mean know. it seems like we've learned now in hindsight that that it was that power structure that was preventing people from just running off with all of the profits yeah right so like in 1978 the average ceo made 40 times the average employee now mm-hmm. it's over 400 so when you go back to like 2006 when when you had the automotive industry was crashing you had like delta airlines one thing that we we don't think about is when we say they're not making a profit it's like the workers sacrifice now their wages the ceos when they're making when you have 30 to 40 guys making over a million dollars in a company they put out there their bottom line and mm-hmm. they're not making a profit and they and the blame gets put on the union workers that they need to take the pay mm-hmm. cut if this doesn't happen we're going to have to move out of the country we don't make we can't make money in the US but for some reason like the little people we like you were saying earlier we look up to them like i don't know why we trust mm-hmm. them so much nobody ever asked those guys to take pay cuts yeah do you know, it's true do you know what i'm saying you know it's true at least well the unions do you know yeah. the unions right. do right right but the unions have lost as a, America, so much of their leverage over the years. You know, and the public has this idea that that you don't have to belong to a group and, and it, that you as an individual can take these organizations on all by yourself. And that Yeah, we feel like we don't have any power. Yeah. Well, we and, don't. And, and, you, and you hear, like, people say, why should the guy putting the stereo knobs on make 25 bucks an hour? Like in 1980, mm-hmm. everybody that worked full time was out of poverty. Like Absolutely. everybody that works full time now deserves the opportunity to be out of poverty. And somehow we look at him and we want to look down, like instead of us, everybody saying we all need to make more money, we look at that guy and say he makes too much. I don't know where that changed as a culture. I know mm-hmm. how it started with Reagan, right? It's it's like teachers. Yeah, the trickle down economics p- police. and the move towards privatization privatized a lot of our industries and that, that, before like our prisons and 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 uh and our 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 road construction and and uh you know the air traffic controllers and that whole patco issue kind of happened there but there just became this idea that or it was sold to us that uh the unions were corrupt that they didn't do anything for us because you know a union doesn't run on on goodwill and 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 people wearing t-shirts and walking up down streets you've got to pay your dues it takes a certain they take a little bit of your check and they use it to pay for the union hall and they use it to pay for banners that they they buy and they use it to pay for the person to to be able to take the time off to go down and talk to uh the the company and and have a coordinated bargaining uh, session with them and things like that. They, these things cost money. Somehow we were sold this idea that giving money to those organizations was somehow not a good thing anymore. That those people were wasting that money and that 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 we were simply creating another bureaucracy that we had to deal with. Well, or the line and, and the line was like 
because it was only Democrats or mostly Democrats supporting labor unions, then they were like, these are just democratic organizations, right? Or socialist organizations. Yeah. There was this this whole socialist scare, but the reality is that that unions themselves, some of them were very conservative and others were very liberal. And there was this, they ran the whole gamut because it wasn't so much a socialist versus capitalist. It was just us. It was just the, the, the laborers. It was just the, the shipbuilders was just the carpenters. And it was, you know, and, and even today you still have, you have organizations like the laborers union who, you know, I would call them fairly conservative because, and then you have other organizations I want to say the culinary unions and the artist artist unions and and the the screen guilds unions that that are that are, that are very liberal. But when it comes to your core right to make a living wage, your core right to have a pension, to even like non-discrimination, their voice heard in yeah. in their company collectively. That's that's what is still there, you know. So now I mean, we've we've talked kind of about how Labor Day came to be union membership has declined significantly in the United States of America. And Mm -hmm. that's partially because of, you know, laws like, you know, at will work, right Right. to work, which Mm -hmm. a right to work state means that you get the benefits of the union without paying dues to that union. So you get the milk for free. So why would you pay for the cow? Right. Yeah. That hurts unions. If you want the benefits of a union, you've got to pay for it. Right to work Mm -hmm. strips that away from unions says, Oh no, 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 no. It's fine. Even if you're not a member of that union and you don't pay dues, you still see a benefit to to your wages, to your standard of living. Because if that union wasn't there, like we just talked about, are you going to get those? Are you going to get as favorable a wage or benefits? Absolutely not. It is not not happening. Before I worked in the company that I work now, I worked in construction as a a carpenter and a a concrete worker at a a non-union company. And it was actually forbidden to talk about your wage. You know, we weren't allowed to talk about, to say I was earning this amount of money and this person next to me is earning, he may be earning more than me, even though he was been working for the company for less time. But if we were caught discussing how much we were making, we could actually be fired for that. You know, it's one of those things that you had to talk about in secret because it pissed people off because, you know, you get a core set of people and then all of a sudden you needed a bunch more people and maybe the workforce was a little slimmer. So the company had to pay a little bit more for that job or whatever. And so they had to bring in people, but they can't give you a raise too. Well, it's really, it's really about parity at that point, you know? Yeah. So. I, I, feel, I kind of feel like when I talked to my parents, when the mm-hmm. first time I switched jobs, my mom had a heart attack. She's she was the type that you go work for a place and you stay there forever and they took care of you. Right. And that doesn't happen anymore. Right. It doesn't happen. They just take the new person and pay mm-hmm. them five dollars more. Sometimes you're making less than your subordinates. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I, absolutely true. And the and the re, that's being called an at will employee. Basically, you have the choice to continue working in that company or not. That's your choice. You know, and you negotiate your wage when you're hired and you decline your wage when you quit. And that's the society that that we've created now. And that's your right, your your individual right to go work at a company and say, I'm going to come and work for you. And they say, we're going to pay you 10 bucks an hour. And you say, "Okay," or no, I can get something better somewhere else. But the problem is, is that every economy, every goes up and down. 
And sometimes laborers work in, 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 in certain cities, lab, there's a labor shortage in one industry or one craft. The value of that wage goes up, you know, and as a result, they, they have to pull people off of other jobs. And you have these headhunters go out and, and, and find find people. And so, so your wage is really dependent upon you as an individual to go out. You have to be your own recruiter. You have to be your own organizer. The reality is that even the best of us, we ought, we have Google and we have KSL classified Glassdoor, right? Yeah, we have Glassdoor and Monster and these the and we can kind of if we do our research and and we're getting better at that, you know, that there there are these these things available to us, but the reality is once you once you go through those things, it kind of filters down and you have maybe four or five options is for your job and then you go to each one and you make the best choice you can, but once you've made your choice, that's it. And another person, he may have a better opportunity than you at somewhere else. And, and as a result, he may have less qualifications and end up making more doing the exact same work somewhere else. You know, when you have a labor organization, they do all that work for you. Yeah. You know, everybody makes the same. Everybody gets the same benefits. You have an entry-level wage. You have an apprenticeship program. You have a journeymanship. And then you know that if the company goes out of business or the labor has labor needs, you can go back to the union and they can say, well, you know what? Over here at this other company, they need people. And you can walk on because you have the skills and that journeymanship and, the, and you can walk right into that other job and it's got the same structure that you understand over there and you can perform at the same level regardless of which company you're working for. And that's, that's re the real power of a union is being able to organize multiple companies. That way, if one contractor does, gets a big project, all of the people that are furloughed or laid off over here, suddenly they you just grab them and pull them over. It's called a job bank. And you can go down to the labor hall. The job bank would literally be a big poster yeah. board that would cover the entire wall of all the different jobs that were available. And you just grab one and you go and you say, hey, I'm going to start here. And then they'd say, yep, you've got all the qualifications. You wouldn't fill out an application or anything. You just go over there and you'd walk on. You'd say, hey, here's my welding certificate or here's my, you know, carpenter's journeymanship card. And they'd say, great, you know. If you're a person who, if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to start a business, um, the thing, and, and say you fail, right? Um, usually the thing is like, well, that just, that model just wasn't sustainable. You know, they just couldn't cut it and that's just the market. But at the same time, we're willing to allow companies like Walmart and mm -hmm. Amazon and McDonald's go out there and pay garbage wages and make crazy profits, you know, and so for yeah. the, you know, yeah, and pay almost nothing in taxes and corporate tax. It pisses me off that we are willing to allow these massive corporations to go out there and use taxpayer dollars to subsidize their business model. And that's acceptable. And, mm -hmm. and like we've talked about at the beginning of this conversation, how we look up to them. We look up to them and say, wow, look at Bezos. Isn't he great? Or look at the Walton family. They're so rich. It's you know? funny. These organizations and these big corporations have, have so much capital and so much ability and so many different cities and, and areas that are vying for their company to come and locate there and provide that job stimulus that they can pretty much ask for whatever they want. You know, we will come in and give you these $13 jobs, but we're not going to come at all if we have to pay 
taxes or if we're not given a subsidy or if we're not given some kind of some kind of premium on our, our water rights or or our 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 transportation. Yeah. And <coughs> Ogden really suffers from that uh the fact that we have a lot of unskilled or lesser skilled yeah. labor. We have a lot to offer. We have a lot of people here who are willing to do hard work. But I think that there's there's something to be said about the fact that, you know, we're pushing people into into lower paying, lo- not lower paying jobs, but we're not giving them the skills that they need to make themselves competitive. Mm, right. You know? Or Shane's always talking about how we're not bringing in the jobs that require the kind of skill mm. that we've got here living here. Yeah. But it's really it's the skill that brings the jobs. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And my argument is is every morning thousands of us leave Ogden. And head to Salt Lake. You're absolutely right. That is so so true. And, you know, there's a lot of us here that want to work here, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in construction. The big buildings don't go up here, right? There's four 30-story towers going up at Salt Lake in the next Mm -hmm. two years. Absolutely. I feel like there's nothing here in Ogden. (laughs) There's there's auto leave. We have the base, There's call centers. There's the base. You know, it's like I said, you need to have this, this garden of different corporations doing the same kind of thing to create a a rising tide that kind of raises all wages and right. stuff like that and then but that where i'm going with this is that our local building trades unions they do that it's with through their apprenticeship programs you know mm. through through our trades and 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 they provide these great four year long programs that when you, when you get done with that you can work anywhere in the country you know whether you're an electrician whether you're a carpenter steel worker sheet metal uh, I'm in the smart union, which stands for sheet metal, air, rail, and transportation. Our, our sheet metal apprenticeship program pumps out something like 1,500 journeymen every year, you know, and we're asking, we could be 2,500, but, you know, people just don't come in the door like they used to anymore. You know, it's in, it, because for some reason, people don't realize you can make $40 an hour doing this, you know, <laughs> a guy like me who basically failed out of college can make six figures a year you know it's like no no no, you need to go to college yeah you know and i've i've sat you know after our last college is bad no not that it's bad i mean there's a place but you can go to college and get nothing out of it you certainly can you know you can spend you know 10 years in college and and basically have a no ability to do anything after that you can have a a degree they keep saying a degree in underwater basket weaving you know (laughs) so if somebody has these skills, like say somebody's listening right now and they feel like they could work the railroads or sheet metal mm-hmm. or whatever, like could they just get in touch with your union? Like how Absolutely. how would they get in the door? Just go to aflcio.org. Uh-huh. And just call and that just number. Say, I want to I want to yeah. sign up and start working. Exactly. It's really? literally that easy. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Do they need foundation skills first? No, they don't. Huh. You can and and that's what's the best part about the apprenticeship program is they pay you to go to school. You know, you make a wage while you're learning. You, by the time you have your four-year degree, you're able to work in a trade, or you don't necessarily have to stay with the union either. You can create. You can actually open your own shop right. at that point, and, and it's not always. You can become your own contractor. It hasn't always been this easy to get no. into a union or get into a program. Yeah. When, when I was getting in 20 years ago, there's they're mm-hmm. saying expect 2 years to get in. Mm-hmm. Right now I call people and I'll be like, "Hey, go fill out your application, send it to the school, and 
they call me up like a week later, like I'm going to work. And I'm like, what? Like, how is this, this just happened to me two days ago? Right now, the railroad's cutting back. You have a situation where uh, automation is kind of taking over the industry and we've, we've got a lot of losing a lot of manpower. So one of the things that I do is I try and pe people get furloughed. And so I try and move them over into the other bu building trades and the other unions and stuff like that. So hopefully they'll they'll stay with some kind of labor organization. And just just last week, a guy called me up and he says, I just got cut off. I've been furloughed. You know, I, it's been two weeks without a paycheck. And I called and I said, here, call my friend Troy. He's down at the labor hall. And he says he's, he's the sheet metal recruiter. And he says, well, I don't know anything about sheet metal. I said, that's the cool thing about it is they'll pay you to go to school right. to learn that, you know. And he called me two hours later. He says, I've got a job. Right. I was like, you didn't even fill out an application or anything. All you did is tell them that somebody from labor sent you, you know. Right. And these it, jobs aren't going away. I'm sure your work. not going Your away. workforce, the sheet metal that mm -hmm. I partner with on the jobs, bus, the their bus average age is too, in the 50s. Transit. Easy. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. In the There's plumbing, a lot it's of like 58. It's cr it's a crazy number. Like it, it absolutely is. We're losing so much skilled labor. A right. whole generation of skilled labor is just disappearing. Yeah. Somehow we got and yeah. our new generation is not picking up the torch. Somehow we got to get into the schools and let these kids know that it's not. It's almost like, and I kind of feel this way, mm -hmm. like I was in my 20s and I'm like, man, I'm just a plumber. Like, I, you know what I mean? You don't want to mm -hmm. be like, hey, I'm a plumber. You know, you get a little older and you, you realize it's a really good profession. You make a lot of good money. But there is that like You have stigma. a really nice house well, <laughs> in a really nice neighborhood. Well, it's this, yeah, somehow we got to get into the schools and, and make it okay to become a plumber, mm -hmm. an electrician, a sheet metal worker. It's Steel worker. Steel worker. Carpenter. Right, steel workers. Yeah, I mean, it's... Mm -hmm. It's I don't I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make it cool. And I'll be honest with my kid. I want him to go to college, mm -hmm. right? I want him to have the I want him to go to college and then have the option of becoming a plumber or an electrician, right? Because it it I don't know why. Why do you want him to go to college? That's yeah. a good, that's a good question. I don't know. Do you know how much college costs? How yeah. much does college cost, Colby? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I'll tell you this right now. I'm eighty two thousand dollars in student debt. Eighty two thousand right. dollars is what I owe the federal government. I think it's yeah. this mentality going around the schools, telling every kid they've got to go to college, not even mentioning the trades, kind of making the trades seem like a lesser profession for some reason. That's how it happened. Yeah, and it's like I can tell a kid, I can go in any high school in Ogden and say, if you come with me this June, you're going to make $50,000. Right. Like at 18 years old, you're going to make over $50,000 this year. If In five years, you're probably going to make six digits. Right. Right. If you get in, like we talked about unions, when when you get yeah. into apprenticeship, it's not. I'll I'll bring up plumbing for instance, non-union plumbing. Average wage for an apprentice is thirteen. Mm -hmm. First doesn't know anything. Ours is eighteen fifty, plus pension, plus ben, um, medical. You pay nothing out of pocket for health insurance, which most kids at eighteen could care less. They're still on their moms. But if you just follow that program, you get a five percent raise every year. Once you're in the school. You get a 5%. You don't have to go and say, hey, boss, I finished my six months of school. I Can I get a little more money? It just happens. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, so when I got my master's degree, I went to my boss's office, and I was like, all right, got the master's. Let's talk about mm -hmm. a raise. And I was like, well, you got to do some other things first. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that one thing was not enough, even though it directly applied to what we were doing in that office. It wasn't enough, you know, whereas you meet the standard, boom. Like, I love how... 
in in the labor union, everything is laid out before you. Everybody knows what we're mm-hmm. making. There's no there's no quibble about that. We know what the path is. Here's how you do it. This is what you're going to make in six months. This is what you're going to make in so many years. Like, this is how it works. And you can plan on that. There's a, there's a ton of stability in that. And, uh, man, it makes me wish that I had stuck it out. Because when I graduated from high school, I wanted to be a carpenter. That's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I got cabinet-making certification through the high school. And I went and I worked at a cabinet shop in Layton. It was my first job out of high school. And I'm talking to guys around. And we had the exact problem that Danny described earlier, where it's like, I was making such and such wage. I found out guys who are 20 years older than me who don't have certs because they're older than me, they were making two, three, four dollars more an hour than I was. It's like, yeah, but I have certs. It's like, yeah, Colby, but you're 18 and a half years old. So <laughs> sorry. And that pissed right. me off and I left. Right. Uh, so let's talk about like the, uh, the business of unions nowadays. Yeah. You said you just went to that convention, right? I did. Were there a lot of people there? We had about a thousand delegates there. In, oh. From various trades, you know, my union is uh, railroaders, bus drivers, sheet metal, and so uh, we all merged together back in the early 2000s. And uh, the people that actually go, we call them our, our executive board. These are the people that actually physically go to the companies and have these negotiations. That that takes a certain amount of skill, mm-hmm. and that's something that has developed over a long <laughs> period of time. You right. know, and and uh, those people have a great ability, regardless of who they're talking to, you know, to what organization they talk to, to create um, a good contract. Because that's what you do as a union is that you actually work under contract. Right. You know, when you uh, when you buy a car, you you make a contract with the company that you buy the car from that you're going to pay for that car. It's the same type of thing when somebody comes in and 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 builds you a house you sign a contract with them to build you the house and right. if they don't build it right then you can then you can, can refer th- back to the written document account. you can refer back to the written document so that 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 is probably the number one benefit of of a coordinate when we talk about the word coordinated bargaining that's mm-hmm. the ultimate goal mm-hmm. is to create a contract between the employees that work at a company and the employer right. so that everybody gets a good wage benefits Healthcare, pension, all of these uh, paid time off, whatever. Right. All right. the it's things like when, that you, all the things that you want a good job to be. Right. Colby talks about you, stability yeah. or being able to predict what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It all comes from you having it go, written down. You want to go to your employer and say, "I want these things." Well, these organizations have these people, and they're called business managers or vice presidents, and these people have a great ability to negotiate on your behalf. And so when you find people that are good at that, you, you, you join together. Right. You know? So um, we just had a, a convention every five years, and we elected a new executive board. And uh, I'll tell you what, as we, it's true democracy in action. I mean— the unions are extremely democratic. Everything is done with Robert's Rules of Order. It's very much like being in, uh, the, watching C-SPAN, Congress. Huh. It, you are, you know, I represent my membership of 50 members. I am the elected to that position, and I go to the Constitutional Convention, and I ha- and and they give me a badge. You know, you have to you have it be properly credentialed to even walk into the room, and when they bring up their amendments and the, and their their resolutions and stuff like that it works very similar to what uh any type of a 
democratic uh, institution would work like. So because the yeah, unions so are pretty are really bottom up, whereas you know our 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 corporate culture is everything comes from the top down. You yeah. know they they bring everything down. Unions are are grassroots organizations, and everything works up. I represent my membership. I go to a, a convention full of delegates where other everybody represents their membership, and we speak truth to power and then those people go on our behalf and speak truth to their organizations so anyway we the first two days were an election and on the first day we had caucuses and i had a caucus for the company that i work for for the railroad that i work for all of the delegates that work for that railroad men in one room and then all the work amtrak had their own little room and the different candidates went in we spent a day very much like your county caucuses and your state caucuses is very much similar. And then the next day we voted, you know, and uh, we elected a whole new leadership, a whole bunch of younger guys. I was really amazed and um, women, too. So I've that, you know, we don't care if you're white, black, blue, girl, boy. In fact, one of the things. So to move from that, we had our elections. The next five days were basically amending the Constitution first thing that we amended the constitution was as a result of like the me too movement stuff like that we put a lot of anti-harassment verbiage into our constitution and then we put a lot of gender uh equality stuff in there and then you know uh, gender identity language was put in there and uh you know it it's pretty exciting to see how much uh forward thinking we are because we're so accepting of the fact that anybody who wants to get involved even in the littlest amount really you want to see your voice heard you want to just come down to one of our union meetings and you will be amazed to see that your opinion you'll watch it go right up the chain you know i and I was talking about this before we started recording that I had it. I had a, I've had situations where I brought up an idea or something that I thought would be good. And then to see the president of the organization say that back to me, you know, in a speech, you know, three weeks later or something like that, you know, and it's just this, you know, you, you really have this fraternal connection even though these people are in an uh, in another state, they are doing the exact same, and they're there listening to you and working on your behalf. They are your voice, and that's really humbling and empowering. You know, the Kingmaker and I went to Indianapolis to the Young Democrats of America conference, mm -hmm. and it was exactly this. Mm -hmm. You show up, you got to have credentials, you know, to vote for the new leadership, which we did. Right. And those people are working on behalf of you, the young people in, in the Democratic Party mm -hmm. at the DNC level, right? They're, they're right. the ones advocating for you to Tom Perez, who is the chair. And then, like you said, we're amending constitutions and talking about mm -hmm. what should it look like within our organization and all that stuff. And, and you're right, like it is... Mm -hmm. very pure form like everybody who's there is a delegate basically you know our our the theme of our 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 uh convention that we went to was focus on the future you know so it was it was interesting talking about how um labor unions are going to stay relevant and and uh, and bring in the new generation and how we're going to adapt to that you know? yeah yeah that was kind of my other question is i imagine that you've got maybe not big names in labor, but you know, people who think about mm -hmm. this stuff probably been hearing from a lot of speakers or whatever. Is there anything you took away from this convention that's making you hopeful or that's making you think that, that the that, fight's being 
one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way it would work for the for the rest of the week I was there is we'd go we'd have a big crunch session where we would offer a bunch of resolutions and 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 amendments to our constitution and then we would break and we'd have a speaker and usually those were uh, we had uh, a senator we were in it was in Las Vegas so we had a the, a senator from Nevada and a member of the House of Representatives from Nevada come and speak to us and we also had the governor of Nevada um, Steve Sisolak come and talk to us. We had uh, Richard Trumka, who is the president of the AFL-CIO, which is, of course, the American Federation of Labor, which is a, a union of unions. And uh, they're, a act, they're the activist arm of, of the labor movement. And uh, so one of the, the neatest things I... He, Richard Trumka is a pretty big hero of mine. And... Uh, so listening to him speak and talk about how much you know we have to gain from organizing organizing all of labor you know it's not just we talk about the building trades all the time because that's where our core membership is but the reality is is that any industry any job where you do the same thing as somebody else is a place where you can organize if you are bagging groceries you can organize that if you are working in a bank as a teller you can organize that you can organize so many things and that's what i think Mm -hmm. was so great about the last conversation we had Mm -hmm. was the fact that you know the afl cio in utah is willing to help out those folks who don't know you know Mm because it's like we look around their main goal is yeah everybody's complaining about their wages and it's like man we don't get paid enough blah this Mm -hmm. sucks so bad it's like well you know let's get together and let's talk about seriously voting Mm-hmm. And putting together a union is like, well, we don't know anything about that. It's like, we don't have to because yeah. we can rely on the AFL CIO yeah, to, they... to send somebody to help us figure it out. And even if it's just, you know, one store or a couple mm-hmm. of stores in a, in a chain of restaurants mm-hmm. or whatever, like the service industries are where it's at. And like you said, like you get out of Vegas, service industries are unionized down there. It is. And it's so a why aren't the service industries service unionized town. in Utah? Yeah, I got, you know, one of the, the culinary guilds. All the cooks in all of those casinos all belong to the same union. You know, I mean, all of the ho- all of the, the hospitality people, concierges, people who work at the front desk, they all belong to their own union. Do, all of the housekeeping, they all belong to their own union. The difference they, between hiring us versus mm-hmm. non-union, right? I can okay. see if it's a 5, mm-hmm. 10, 15% difference in the bid. Right. If we're within a hundred thousand dollars or a half a percent or one percent, you're getting trained guys, drug tested guys, guys that have all gone to school, guys that all have plumbing licenses, which that doesn't happen in the non union and they don't check. Why would you even risk that for half a percent? Right? Yeah. Think about it and then think about it this. The not the plumber the average plumber makes thirty percent more union versus non union. So you're gonna give that non-union employer, the bid, and the money goes to the top. Yeah. Why would you not want to say the guys that are working on my job are making thirty percent more? Is there? Why would you not think that's like a pride thing that I'm gonna? Yeah. I want quality. You get quality individuals when you're paying that much more, right? Family men, guys that take, you know pay their mortgages, guys that show up every day, the guys that love their job. You know, we're starting to see a surge in organization. And, and we're starting to actually see uh, a lot of these in 
in pockets, especially back in the in in the east and in the south, we're actually starting to see a lot of organizations actually come to be. You'd like, for instance, even here in Utah, we've just recently had uh, the ski patrols have all joined their own union. You know, which is interesting. You know, you still have certain uh, resorts that are non-union, but uh, like up there at uh, in Park City, that they have a they have a employees union just for their their ski patrols and things like that. But uh, the reality is, is that that our laws are against unions. You know, uh, that that's about the simplest way to say it. You know, right? Like um, union busting is protected. Union busting is protected. Yeah. You know, uh, I. I just watched a show on Netflix. I want everybody to watch it. It's called American Factory. Mm. It is basically just a couple of uh, documentarians following the process of a Chinese company opening up a factory. It's in, in Ohio, I believe it is. And it's in Ohio in, in, in a building that used to be a automobile plant. And uh, you're watching them hire people and and the relationships and then you're starting you, as as they start to open up you start you see some of the uh the safety aspects of these people working start to degrade people getting hurt on the job and and people having to work longer hours and 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 they they try to organize and then this company spends over a million dollars to bring in professional union busters and makes these people sit down at lunch and watch these videos and talk to people that, to dissuade them from joining an organizing union. And ultimately, they are successful at the end of that movie. Um, you know, it's just David versus Goliath. And uh, the, the law is on their side, you know. They face no real consequences for what they do. And, and the result is, you know, stagnant wages, unsafe workplaces, and rising inequality. The Democrats have this uh, law, this bill up uh, in in our nation's capital called the PRO Act, which stands for Protecting the Right to Organize Act. And the first thing that they're they're going to do with this PRO Act is is get rid of this this right to work uh, idea. You know, nationwide, the the idea is that if you're going to have a collective bargaining happening on your behalf, you're going to have to pay some kind of dues into that. So really, thanks a lot, Danny, for coming in, sure. helping us spread awareness about Labor Day. Uh, I guess I hope everybody out there has a great Labor Day. Spend some Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Um, I do want to quickly mention just a couple events this week. If you're an Ogden resident on Tuesday, first at 4.30, they're going to do a review of the five-year strategic plan in Ogden. So that's a good meeting to go to. And then uh, they're also having at 7 p.m., also in Ogden, they're doing a housing fact-finding discussion. So uh, two important conversations you can be a part of in Ogden. Again, those are Tuesday, September 3rd, first at 4.30, the second is at 7. Um, and then I also wanted to mention uh, the Democrats have started doing a coffee every Saturday down at oh. the Bickering Sisters. So 9.30 a.m. Saturday, head down to Bickering Sisters meet up with some Democrats, and then we've got our drinking liberally. So uh, join us down there September 8th at Bruvies, uh 6.30 p.m. And uh, that's it. Thanks again, Danny. Thanks right. to Shane and Colby. Everybody have a great Labor Day. Oh, and uh, like we say every week, all politics is local. Okay.